Campfire Classics is a classic literature podcast. However, your hosts will occasionally use not-so-classy language and immature humor to describe very mature situations. As such, listener discretion is advised. Hi. I'm Ken Sandberg. And I'm Heather Michelle Lawler. Welcome to Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. Mmm, mmm, yes, yes, very good. You make an excellent point. Um, I was wondering if you might like to um, expand upon these discoveries that we're making. Well, um... As a, as a teacher of uh, theatrical movement and someone who uh, frequents yoga and like and workout classes and whatnot, and sometimes at the end of class they say, you know, breathe, and then at, then they're like, on this next breath, let out any sound or feeling that comes out and just mm-hmm. let it be and like let it live in the world. And that's what just came out of me. So, All right. Um, that's the kind of week it's been. So uh, that was a very vulnerable moment, listeners. So you're welcome. <laughs> Well, it is, it's important to be comfortable expressing vulnerability and your own personal truth. And sometimes words aren't enough for that. You just have to use whatever primal sort of sound and feeling. And, oh, dear, I'm sorry. That is all the time we have for this week. Okay, uh, um, shove it. <laughs> <laughs> Suck my butt. Also, I'm, people I'm that listen to-, to this podcast... All w- already know that words fail me most of the time. So. Well, I'm going to have to insist we switch at least temporarily to English language, as this is <laughs> this is a heavily language based podcast. Sometimes, sometimes. <laughs> I don't know. I'm reading this week, so it's good. <laughs> so it might not be. It might not be. But hi, everybody. Uh, Welcome to episode 53 of Campfire Classics. Yes, we're titling this one. I don't know how to spell that. I don't know how I spelled that when I typed up the title. And when when I typed up or made up the like logo for the episode. So so. I don't I don't know how that was spelled, but that is the title of this episode. I don't think that's exactly what I said. I think it was more like. Well, I'll I'll go back and re-listen to the first bit to make sure that I get. Actually, you know what I'll probably do? I'll, I'll play it through the um, Google talk to text. Google Translate. <laughs> and just see what it comes up with I for that sound. I am very excited for that. And that'll be what our title is. That will definitely be in the show notes, if nowhere else. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, It's that's the title of the show. That's the title mm, of this episode. Uh, we'll see about that by the end. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about that, but... Uh, but yeah, he'll hi. Just, he'll just look like I accidentally sat on the keyboard. He'd be like, oh, they've they've really gone downhill while they've been traveling. Man, <laughs> couldn't think of anything clever this week, huh? Okay, well, that's fine. You know, they can't all be gold, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, they we're... <laughs> they can't all be screw you, Mark Twain. They can't all be... Um, uh, oh my God, I can't remember any other titles of our like, podcast. Wasn't there one about balls? Yeah, I think so. Because I did a lot of testicle pictures as, like, promos. Yeah, was it just... It was something balls. Something about a... Ball dress. Something about a ball dress. Yeah. Put on your ball dress. I don't know. Whatever. Fuck it. Um... (laughs) 
Well, this is going well. It's been a week, y'all. Uh, I've just had, I've just had, a, you know, you know, sometimes you just have one of those weeks, like where it seems like nothing is going right. Quite. Ooh, I didn't mean to rhyme, but sometimes rhyming happens. Um, but yeah, it's just, I've just, uh, my car broke down and like, like, I feel like I'm dropping things everywhere and like, and like breaking things and like my soul. So yeah, I mean, it's just that kind of week, but I don't want to make it heavy cause I'm, I'm in a good place right now. We had a lovely day today with my friend Julia from, uh, New York who listens to the podcast. So, Hey Julia, she told us today, like, I just assume none of my friends listen to this. She told us today she listens to it and it puts her to sleep. Well, she she puts it on (laughs) to go to sleep. And I'm like, you know what? We were happy to tell people bedtime stories. And she's like, I was like, because I know Ken listens to some podcasts and like I watch movies to fall asleep. And she goes, oh, no, what you're doing is not sleepy time podcast. It just helps me fall asleep because I love you both and you're very soothing. And I'm like, I'm soothing. That's the first time anyone has ever told me that my voice is soothing. So thank you, Julia. <laughs> One of these weeks, we're going to have to do a bedtime episode. We should. We do the whole thing sort of talking here. Because I can and- talk like that if you pay me enough money. <laughs> This will this would actually get really kind of exhausting for the full hour and ten minutes. We both sound like we work on NPR when we. It's like thank you for tuning into NPR Asheville. Hi, I'm Ken Sandberg, and I'm Heather Michelle Waller. Welcome to Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that ease your dreams. So tuck yourself in and get ready for a cozy story. But that's not this episode. No. <laughs> oh, and I just watched all the little sound waves peak. They were so pissed <laughs> at you. <laughs> I so rarely does Ken get so loud that he shocks me. That was a moment that he actually shocked me. Um, usually, it's the other way around. So, uh, yeah, that's how it goes. So, speaking of things being the other way around, do we have a promo this week? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Snap. All right. Well, I guess then we're just going to jump into that. I see how it goes. All right. Well, yes, this week we do. We have a podcast for the ladies at Twisted and Uncorked. Ooh. Yeah. You want to play that shit? Yeah. Let's let's, do it. Let's give it a listen. Hello, Twisted Humans. Do you find yourself wanting to know more about the latest murder, conspiracy, cult, or haunting? Then this is the podcast for you. We're bringing the most intense stories that will keep you up at night. Join us every Tuesday for a glass of wine and a dose of true crime. I'm Alicia. And I'm Sierra. And this is Twisted Twisted and Uncorked. Uncorked. I like that. So they'd make a perfect pairing. Yeah. You listen to them because they keep you up and then you listen to us and we put you to sleep. Apparently we put you to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Julia, do not listen to that before you go to bed, but listen to it like when you're when you uh, wake up. on your way to work, like that kind of stuff. But no, so I first heard Alicia and Sierra actually on a uh, another podcast Wine, Dine, and Storytime, which who, who are our like friends. We sort of we sort of accidentally promo them about every third like episode. Every third episode, one because I love those three women, and like they were our first guests, yeah. so it's just kind of like you know. But I was listening to one of their episodes, and they had um, Twisted and Uncorked on as their special guests, doing a special uh, women survivors um, episode. 
And they just did such a good job covering the story they covered. Like my anxiety goes out of the roof sometimes when it comes to true crime, but I like really love it. I think that's why everyone loves it because it makes your anxiety go crazy. And then you're like, it didn't happen to me. Um, but Because like, <laughs> you freak out and then you go, oh, thank God. At least that was someone and else. now I know in case that happens what to do. But like um, they did such an amazing job covering this very like twisted story while uncorking wine which we always have when we're recording right here we're drinking it right now um so i was just very impressed so i reached out to them and asked if we could do a promo for them so um you guys should go check it out uh it's a great quick promo but yeah they dive into everything like again they don't just do true crime they do paranormal cults and all that stuff so they do a fantastic job and i highly recommend checking out the episode they did with wine dine and Storytime. if that's a good jumping off place if you uh if you're already fans of wine dine and Storytime, yeah. which you should be yeah check it out let let them keep you up at night and then put us on so we can soothe you to sleep (laughs) because we're so soothing so soothing yeah (laughs) we're gonna soothe you to sleep we're gonna soothe you all night you real hard rock my face off rock in your face with the soothing that's what campfire classics does that wasn't one of our best, but it was good. No, it might get better in post. Maybe we can be in Eurovision someday with it. Someday. <laughs> that is the dream. Uh, oh, only, can someone in Europe? Can somebody in Europe write a song for Ken and I to sing at Eurovision? We are so game for that shit. Oh hell yeah, I would be on board. I am so. Uh, we need a European songwriter. That's all we need. That's all we need. Or is it- we need America to become a British colony again. Mm, well, the way it's headed, sometimes <laughs> I'm like. Uh, I'm leaning more towards maybe China or like something like that. But, you know, it's 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 just get out and vote, everybody. Uh, So before (laughs) this gets really dark, never mind that it's June. Hey, there is a there is a mayoral mayoral mayoral. Your oral. (laughs) I try to be and then I make noises like (laughs) Uh, um, uh, the mayor is being elected in New York right now. So there is actually a like pretty big election hey, going on. New Yorkers, in New go York vote. City. Yeah. Do the thing. Go do your thing. Vote for the best candidate. The one that you think will be the best that is not an asshole. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess we should get to what we do right. before I go on a political <laughs> tangent because no one needs that after right. my therapeutic rant earlier. So, so um, in case this is your first episode, because every episode is somebody's first episode, if we're doing our job right. Fingers crossed. The way this show works is your hosts, Ken and Heather, take turns choosing stories for the other one to read for the first time, sight unseen, into the microphone for you, dear listener. And it is often a delightful, hilarious train wreck, in addition to being a, a really great story. Well, you also get to listen to some great literature. But before the story starts, the person who chose the story reads a few fun facts about the story or the author or something somehow loosely related to it. Um, and this week, because we have a brand new author to Campfire Classics, Yippee-ki-yay-yay. we're going to do some fun facts about the author. All right. Well, give it to me. So this week's author, Robert Irvin Howard is an American who wrote pulp fiction in a wide range of genres. He is best known today for his character, Conan the Barbarian. Oh, 
I was I like I literally drew a blank when you said that person's name. I was like, who the fuck is that? And he is widely regarded as the father of the sword and sorcery fantasy subgenre. Oh well, well done you. <laughs> Happy Father's Day to you, sir. <laughs> um, it we're recording on Father's. We're Day. recording on Father's Day. <laughs> so Robert was born on January twenty second, nineteen oh six, in Peaster, Texas. Peaster. He was the only son of a traveling country physician, Dr. Isaac Mordecai Howard, and his wife, Hester Jane Irvin Howard. Hester. Yep. (laughs) That is such a name that has disappeared in time. (laughs) Uh, Dr. and Mrs. Howard had financial problems stemming largely from Dr. Howard's tendency to throw money away on get-rich-quick schemes. Oh, he's a pyramid scheme. By the way, tell five friends of yours that you like this because we like our podcast pyramid scheme. Yeah, that has been working out at least moderately well. Yeah, do that. (laughs) Cheers. Cheers to our pyramid scheme. So anyway, Dr. Howard. Likes pyramid schemes. Yeah. Um, he he got he got wrapped into those things really easily, which led uh, Robert's mother to believe that she had married down, oh, as they say. No, she eventually decided that her husband would have as little to do with raising their son as possible. Okay. So they didn't they didn't get divorced. They stayed together. Well, people didn't. The, that was um, that was not a thing but, people did. But she basically took over raising the kid. All right. Herself. All right, Mama. Uh, she read him poetry and stories and encouraged him to read on his own, and she would become his biggest supporter and advocate when he started writing. He's a mama's boy. Yeah. So although he loved reading and learning, he found school to be con- confining, and he Lord began knows. to hate having anyone in authority over him. I, I like I like him. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, experiences watching and confronting bullies revealed the very real presence of evil and enemies in the world and taught him the value of physical strength and, for better or worse, the capacity for violence. Okay, so the bullies picked on him and he'd punch him in the face or kick him in the dick and he's like, well, that worked, so good yeah, to know. So he ended up getting super into boxing and bodybuilding. All right. As, oh, as a way ooh, to protect himself ooh. from bullies. We're totally going to find a bodybuilding picture of him from like uh, back in the day. So he started writing stories at the age of nine while devouring works of writers like Jack London and Rudyard Kipling. Okay. He also amazed his friends with his incredible, some say photographic memory as he would perfectly recite huge portions of poetry and prose that he had only just read for the first time. Oh, damn. Yeah. Well, that's beneficial in life. Pretty good trick, right? (laughs) Yeah. I'd Uh, like that often. Yeah. Like, people think I have it. I'm like, no, no, no. I stare at those words many, 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 many hours before they are in my brain. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I'm not good at memorizing like that. Not like that. Yeah. That's, that's a skill. So Robert E. Howard went off to boarding school for a while where he finally made two friends who shared seemingly all of his interests, literature, history, athletics, all of it. They were Tevis Clyde Smith and Truett Vinson. Tevis and Truett? Yeah. 
Those don't sound like real names. I know. They sound like fantasy characters. <laughs> Tevis and Truitt um, drew their swords. <laughs> so at Truitt Vincent's urging, Howard submitted two stories to the school newspaper his senior year. Not only were they both published, they took first and second place in the school's writing competition. Yeah, they did. And he's like, <laughs> mm, yeah, I wasn't even trying. My friend told me to do this. <laughs> I'm embarrassed. In, uh, in 1924, the year after graduating, he got his first story published in a pulp magazine, Weird Tales. Oh, I love the name of that magazine. He sold it for $16. That's probably a shit ton of money, actually. He was now a professional writer. Yeah. At 20, he got his first cover story with Wolfhead, a werewolf story. At 21, he decided to try to blend the styles of some of his favorite authors, such as Edgar Allan Poe, A. Merritt, and H.P. Lovecraft, mixing elements of fantasy, horror, and mythology with historical romance, action, and swordplay. He created this sort of thematic vehicle that had never been seen before, and the style that became known as Sword and Sorcery was born. The story, The Shadow Kingdom, was sold for $100, and it was a huge hit. The Shadow Kingdom. A hundred bucks. Yeah. So where are we? The 20s? Yeah. That's, a, that's, a, that's not... Not I mean, bad for a 21-year-old. It's not bad for a 21-year-old who's been doing this for, for a year. For a 21-year-old writer who's so been a, a professional year, for like 18 months. In a year, he went from $16... To a hundred dollars. Yeah. That's that. I mean, that's some infl- That's that's what the minimum wage should be doing. <laughs> uh, so he started gaining momentum after that, as more and more pulps picked up his stories. He landed an agent and a publisher. In August of 1930, Howard wrote a letter to the pulp magazine, Weird Tales, the one that had been printing so many of his stories, praising a recent reprint of H.P. Lovecraft's The Rats in the Walls and discussing some of the obscure Gaelic references used in the story. (laughs) I thought you were saying obscure gay references. (laughs) Wow, that's progressive. I like it. Gaelic. Gaelic. Um, Okay. But not that kind of gay lick. (laughs) Uh, So the the editor, uh, a guy named Farnsworth Wright, forwarded the letter that he wrote to H.P. Lovecraft, Mm -hmm. who responded to Howard thanking him for his insights. And the two writers soon engaged in in vigorous correspondence, in vigorous gay licking. I was very excited for this story to, like, turn. No, doesn't take that turn, unfortunately. Sorry. In 1932, he wrote and published the first of the Conan stories. These became the only stories that his acquaintances in Texas really cared about. Well, people in Texas don't read, right? I Um, mean... (laughs) uh, So, perhaps surprisingly... Uh, Howard seems to have grown tired of Conan pretty quickly. He basically, for about a year and a half, cranked out a bunch of Conan stories and then turned his focus to writing westerns. Well, I mean, he's from Texas, so I guess that makes sense. (laughs) Uh, So he started dating a woman named Noveline Price. Noveline? Yeah. Or possibly Novaline, but... 
Well, I have a friend named Nava, and I wonder if her name is long. If that's like just what people yeah. call her, Navaline. Navaline Price. Huh, love that. Um, Navaline Price was his friend Tevis Clyde Smith's ex. Keeping it in the family. All right. Well, not family, but friends, you know. Um, keeping it in the friends um, circle. My mom and dad met because my dad dated my mom's best friend. It, sometimes it happens. Like, not seriously, but they've been on a few dates. And she is still, to this day, my, one of my mom's best friends. Like, they see each other every time they're in the same city. Well, so. well done not making it weird. Yeah. <laughs> she still teases my dad. She's like, and Michelle looks good, huh? <laughs> He's like, okay. <laughs> I'm sure, like, mom, you've been together almost 50 years. You got to move on. Uh, so Price started getting kind of sick from overwork. Okay. Uh, she was a teacher in mid-1935, and her doctor, a friend of Howard's dad, uh, told her to end the relationship and get a job in a different state. Uh, wow. Um, that's a weird diagnosis. <laughs> Despite agreeing to this, she met with Howard right after being discharged. Howard, however, was too preoccupied with the state of his mother's poor health to give her the attention that she wanted, and their relationship did not last much longer. Okay, so they just dated. Okay. Not considering herself to be in an exclusive relationship, Price began dating Truett Vinson. Again? Or the nope, other, the other one. Oh my god! Talk about a triangle. <laughs> Howard discovered his friend's relationship while he and Truett were on a weeks-long trip together to New Mexico. Oh, he didn't know they broke up. It's like the Ross and Rachel. We were on a break. <laughs> yeah. Um, they never spoke or wrote to each other again. Yeah. Oh, my God. All right. Whoops-a-daisy. Um, things very quickly take a turn for the worst. Oh. Oh, no. She shoot him? Howard's mother became very ill. Mm. He knew she was dying. He sat by her in the hospital. On June 11th, 1936, her nurses told him she was gone. She was not going to wake up again. He walked into the parking lot, went to his car, and shot himself in the head. <gasps> he was 30. Oh my God. In retrospect... There were many signs that this was coming, and biographers agree that he was struggling with a lifetime of repressed and undiagnosed mental and emotional issues. Oh, no. Oh, my God. That makes me so sad. Because at that time, that was just not any... I mean, we were literally... Like, Julie and I were talking today at lunch with you. Like, like people even of our parents' generation still, when you talk about mental health, do like, oh, are we going to talk about mental health like it's like this taboo subject and it's it's not any well it's it's becoming less and less the more people talk about it openly and like I like to think I am open about my own personal issues and like all my friends are very open about their personal issues and because it's 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 not anything to be ashamed of it's just it's just who you are i mean it's yeah. um it's like i'm 55 and i have ocd anxiety hi my name's heather i'm awesome like that is my superpower um not being 55 cuz that's pretty average in lane uh, <laughs> hi what's your superpower i'm 5 foot 5 i am that's super average height <laughs> um 
But like that makes me so sad. What's because your superpower? I have very average proportions for my height and weight. <laughs> Which is also pretty accurate. What? I mean, like, you know. What's your superpower? I read at slightly above a middle of college level. What's your superpower? <laughs> I have anxiety, so I overthink everything. <laughs> but I can also find four leaf clovers like a fucking Like boss. a motherfucker. Yeah, because I see patterns see, like I've that. I see you find five this, five this week. This last week. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but- Which is crazy, y'all. It is <laughs> that insane. That was in two days, actually. Though. It is insane to watch Heather walk out into a field and come out with a fistful of four-leaf clovers. <laughs> I don't get it. Eventually, they'll bring me luck, I, I like to think. <laughs> um, but no, like, I, it just makes me sad when I hear stories like that from years ago. Or, like, I mean, it's still happening. But, like, when it's just, it could have been easily avoided if people just talked about it. And, like, somebody... and. It makes, was a physician yeah like it's a different kind of thing but like you should be able to see that kind of stuff and like when someone's losing a loved one like they're incredibly vulnerable so like it yeah. just that makes me so sad and so please if you are struggling with any issues and like any anything from just like minor depression to bigger issues and uh questioning anything and talk to somebody talk to anybody a friend a family member uh like there's literally like so many phone numbers you can call and do like online counseling uh count counseling now so like yeah that just reach out because there is always someone there you are never alone so i wanted to drop that in i got a little deep but yeah. like when when a story ends like that i gotta i gotta get a little real for a minute because it's that's it, it's close to home so yeah so because he died over 70 years ago, public domain in the United States is life of the author plus 70 years or 95 yep. years since the publication. The vast majority of his works is public domain is now. in public domain. Now, there are a few things that because of this or that or someone else got the rights to yeah. it and renewed them or whatever. Yeah. Not all of his works are, but yeah. the vast majority of his works are in public domain. So this week you will be reading a story that was published in 1932. Okay. In the pulp magazine Weird Tales. Okay. Called The Thing on the Roof. Ew. <laughs> Ew, David. <laughs> let's get this fire started. All right, let's do it. The Thing on the Roof. I'm going to say roof so many times if I have to say roof. I'm so from the Midwest. I, <laughs> I like, had to think of that hard. All right. Come on, actor Heather. Can I get you a pop? Oh, fuck off, soda. <laughs> Go play Duck, Duck, Grey Duck. <laughs> I will. Minnesota boy. <laughs> I will. Thank you for saying it correctly. They play Duck, Duck, Grey Duck and not Duck, Duck, Goose in Minnesota, y'all. What the damn hell? That's because we play it right in Minnesota. <laughs> okay. The thing on the roof. We don't get intense <laughs> about much, but we get we get intense about our fucking ducks. <laughs> I'm not even gonna start. Am I? Uh, nope. Nope. Fuck that goose. Geese suck. I mean, fuck it. Literally though, y'all. Geese. Fuck. Fuck geese. <laughs> Not, don't, no, please literally don't fuck geese. But, you know, they can fuck off. Kind of. So, okay, we're going to start this. <laughs> so, you know, you know the duck boat tours that you can take in cities 
Yes. On on rivers. Yes. In Philadelphia, they became so unpopular that someone started a website called fucktheduck.com. <laughs> oh my god, that's delightful. All right. Take 2. <laughs> I'll probably restart the fire. Re- let's restart this fire. The fire went out. That was that was a lot. <laughs> the goose spit on it. <laughs> the goose shat on it, probably, like they do all over the sidewalks. Dumb fucking goose. <laughs> the thing on the roof is a goose. <laughs> Does he lay golden eggs? Okay, I'm going to let you actually start now. <laughs> oh, no. The Thing on the Roof by Robert E. Howard. They lumber through the night with their elephantine tread. I shudder in a fright as I cower in my bed. They lift colossal wings on the high gable roofs with tremble to the trample of their mastodonic hoofs. Ah! By, that is a poem that starts the story by Justin Jeffrey, Out of the Old Land. That is a quote from a poem that has been put at the beginning of the story. I That's think terrifying. I think it's about geese. Or, or reindeer. <laughs> hooves on the roof. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> this, is a, this is a story about Santa Claus. This is, this is a Christmas story. Or it, maybe it's Krampus. It's like mean Santa Claus. Okay. <clears throat> All right. Let me begin. Well, you already began by this creepy ass poem, but okay. Let me begin by saying that I was surprised when Tussman called on me. We had never been close friends. The man's mercenary instincts repelled me. <laughs> and since our bitter... And since our bitter controversy of three years before, when he attempted to discredit my evidences of Naho culture in Yucatan, which was the result of years of careful research, our relations had been anything but cordial. Ruh, roh. All right, so... So a so, friend with a weird name that starts with a T has become estranged. Tussman. So Tussman has become estranged. Oh, well, yeah, that's... Okay, <laughs> yeah. yep, I'm there now. Okay. Um, so they're both researchers into, like, the paranormal, it kind of seems, or or to the, uh, like, the the fantastical... The fans- Fantasifical? Fantasifical? Fantasifical word. The fantasifilis? I told you I'm not... I told you, words fail me often, (laughs) y'all. This story will be read in English adjacent. (laughs) Always. When it's Heather's Week, always. (laughs) All right. All right, so I'm in. So there's a... There's a, like, quarrel between two writer-researchers. Between Tussman and narrator. Okay, great. Let's do this. However, I received him and found his manner hasty and abrupt, but rather abstracted, as if his dislike for me had been thrust aside in some driving passion that had hold of him. Oh, they're going to make out. Yes. His errand was quickly stated. He wished my aid in obtaining a volume in the first edition of Huan Yut's Nameless Cults, the edition known as The Black Book. Not from its color, but because of its dark contents. Oh, this is such a great story to read with Twisted and Uncorked. All right, fantastic. All right. I'm getting, I'm getting real like 
This is Indiana very Jones Indiana vibes. Jones. Like it really like Indiana Jones or like Jurassic Park. Like one like very one of those like he might almost as well have asked me for the original Greek translation of the Necronomicon. The, the Necronomicon. Is that about having sex with dead people? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All I know the is necronomicon, necromancing. And- yes, the, the Necronomicon is just Kama Sutra for corpses. <laughs> what is it actually? No, so necromancy is... Is sex with dead people. No, that's necrophilia. Oh, Necrophilia is sex with dead people. Necromancy is magic that has to do with dead people, usually bringing them back from the dead. Oh, so like the beginning of the mummy. So like the beginning of the mummy, like when he's like, I will kill you and then I will bring you back. And then you're going to be brought back from the dead with this curse. The Necronomicon is supposed to be this book that is full of like the darkest magic that, okay. that helps you. So that it's like the book of the dead in the mummy. Yeah, it's like the book of the dead in the mummy. Okay. All right. Though since my return from Yucatan, I had devoted practically all my time to my advocation of book collecting. I had not stumbled upon any hint that the book in the Dusseldorf edition was still in existence. A word as to this rare work. It's extreme ambiguity in spots, coupled with its incredible subject matter, had caused it long to be regarded as the ravings of a maniac, and the author was damned with the brand of insanity. But the fact remains that much of his assertions are unanswerable, and that he spent the full 45 years of his life prying into strange places and discovering secret and abysmal things. Not a great many volumes were printed in the first edition, and many of these were burned by their frightened owners when Jan Yuzit was found strangled in a mysterious manner in his barred and bolted chamber one night in 1840. Ooh, it's a locked door mystery! I know! Six months... Wait, 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 I know this one. Um, he stood on a block of ice. (laughs) Um, and this was six months after he had returned from a mysterious journey to Mongolia. Dun, dun, dun. So the mummy got him. Yes. (laughs) Five years later, a London printer, one Bridewall, pirated the work. Army (laughs) team. It's like when I see the... And thus was born Treasure Island. (laughs) It's like when I see the thing at the beginning of films, it's like, piracy is a crime. I'm like, yeah, but it's fun. (laughs) Yar! (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Um, Piracy is a crime. That's not what your mother said. Last night. (laughs) Trebek. The day is mine, Trebek. Five years later, a London printer, one Bridewall, pirated the work and issued a cheap translation for sensational effect. Cheap like your mother. (laughs) Good guy. All right. (laughs) And issued a cheap translation for sensational effect, full of grotesque woodcuts and riddled with misspellings... 
faulty translations, and the usual errors of a cheap and unscholarly printing. This still further discredited the original work, and publishers and public forgot about the book until 1909, when the Golden Goblin Press of New York bought out an edition. Their production was so carefully expurgated, expurgated? I'm assuming it means, like, done, but, like... Expurgated. Having had objectionable or unsuitable matter removed. So, so they, censored. They, they censored enough that people were like, okay, okay. Their production was so carefully expurgated or censored that fully a fourth of the original matter was cut out. The book was handsomely bound and decorated with the exquisite and weirdly imaginative illustrations of Diego Vasquez. All right. The edition was intended for popular consumption, but the artistic instinct of the publishers defeated that end, since the cost of issuing the book was so great that they were forced to cite it at a prohibitive price. All right. So... They wanted it to go like viral, but they had to price it so high that only like that only wealthy a handful people of people could, could afford it. I was explaining all of this to Tussman when he interrupted brusquely to say that he was not utterly ignorant in such matters. <laughs> <laughs> Bitch, I know. Bitch, okay, I get yes, duh. Hello, we're adversaries. I know all this. One of the Golden Goblin books ornamented his library, he said, and it was in it that he found a certain line which aroused his interest. Yeah. If I could procure... That's why I'm here. (laughs) I'm aroused. My interest, that is. If I could procure him a copy of the original 1839 edition, he would make it worth my while. Knowing, he added, that it would be useless to offer me money. He would, instead, in return for my trouble on his behalf, make a full retraction of his former accusations in regard to my Yucatan researches and offered a complete apology in the scientific news. Ooh. Oh, damn. All right. Okay, that's that's juicy. That's juicy. He's like, I will take that's back enticing. everything I ever said about you into the world. Yeah. I will admit that I was astounded by this and realized that if the matter meant so much to Tussman that he was willing to make such concessions, it must indeed be of the utmost importance. I answered that I considered that I had sufficiently refuted his charges in the eyes of the world and had no desire to put him in any humiliating position, but that I would make the utmost efforts to procure him what he wanted. <laughs> so, like, yeah, I'm over that. But, um, yeah, I can get you the book, and then you're still going to do that, right? <laughs> like, it's like, um, yeah, I'm... No, I'm, I'm over that, but I'll get you the book, and then... You're going to do that. We'll work something out. He thanked me abruptly and took his leave, saying rather vaguely that he hoped to find a complete exposition of something in the black book, which had evidently been slighted in the later edition. I set to work, writing letters to friends, colleagues, and book dealers all over the world. This is like the beginning of like the freaking Mormon documentary I was watching 
Um, or there, like, there's a, like a, there's a, no, it, it's like, there's a, there's people that are like document hunters and this is how it all started. And then somebody found a document that basically fucking refuted the entire religion and like the whole like story with the golden plates, like found a document, found a letter and, that he wrote where he was like, Hey guys, check this shit out. I'm going to make up like, some story. About no one Golden knows Plates. what it, well, no one will say what it said. Cause it was destroyed and people started getting murdered. Like, I mean, this is what this, I mean, it's national treasure. It's like one of these things where it's like, this was never supposed to be seen. All right. I set to work writing letters to friends, colleagues, and book dealers all over the world. And soon discovered that I had assumed a task of no small magnitude. Three months elapsed before my efforts were crowned with success, but at last, through the aid of Professor James Clement of Richmond, Virginia, I was able to obtain what I wished. Richmond, Virginia has come up like 12 times today. That's amazing. (laughs) I love that. Right place, right time. I notified Tussman, and he came to London by the next... Oh, we're in England. I didn't even know. I assumed we were in America. So did I, because he's Texan. Yeah. Oh, well. I'm not going back now. No one needs to. No, no one needs me to dive into a. He might just be and, in and London. He's probably an American in London because yeah, because he's a researcher. I notified Tussman, and he came to London by the next train. His eyes burned avidly as he gazed at the thick, dusty volume with its heavy leather covers and rusty iron hasps, and his fingers quivered with eagerness as he thumped. The Time Yellowed Pages. He's really into this book. He's like breast heaving. And when he cried out fiercely and smashed his clenched fist down on the table, I knew that he had found what he hunted. (laughs) I'm going to make him British because we haven't heard him talk yet. Great. Listen, he commanded, and he read me a passage that spoke of an old, old temple in a Honduras jungle where a strange god was worshipped by an ancient tribe which became extinct before the coming of the Spaniards. And Tussman read aloud of the mummy that had been the mummy! Oh no! We we predicted it! Fucking mummy in a South American pyramid. Read aloud of the mummy that had been, in life, the last high priest of the vanished people, and which now lay in a chamber hewn in the solid rock of the cliff against which the temple was built. About that mummy's withered neck was a copper chain, and on that chain a great red jewel carved in the form of a toad. This jewel was a key, Jan Huzit went on to say to the treasure of the temple which lay hidden in a subterranean crypt far below the temple's altar. Tussman's eyes blazed. I have seen that temple. I have stood before that altar. I have seen the sealed-up entrance of the chamber in which the natives say lies the mummy of the priest. It is a very curious temple, no more like the ruins of the prehistoric natives than 
it is like the buildings of the modern Latin Americans. The natives in the vicinity disclaim any former connection with the place. They say that the people who built that temple were a different race from themselves and were there when their own ancestors came into the country. I believe it to be a remnant of some long-vanished civilization which began to decay thousands of years before the Spanish came. Oh. Hmm. Aliens? It really is Indiana Jones. Yeah. Well, it's the fourth Indiana <laughs> the, the Jones. Fourth we one. don't talk about that one. I would have liked to have broken into the sealed up chamber, but I had neither the time nor the tools for the task. I was hurrying to the coast, having been wounded by an accidental gunshot in the foot. That was not accidental. <laughs> you know, one of the natives, like, oh my God, the people that defend the, the defend the temple, the lost city. He's, huh. He's getting kind of close. I think my gun might accidentally. Oops. <laughs> Oops. Yeah. It's like the people in the mummy that are protecting the, the, the forbidden city. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah like. They try and keep people from getting there, so they... Yeah, what's his name? The pretty one with the face oh, tattoos. Oh, he's, he's very pretty, yeah. He's like, <laughs> I'm going to break into your native city. <laughs> what? <laughs> I first saw it in high school. All my guy friends, including Corey, who we're going to see this week, and Colin were obsessed with Rachel Weisz. And I'm like, Brendan Fraser and that guy can break into my news. <laughs> he can break into my forbidden city anytime. <laughs> At five o'clock, the sun shines on it at just the right angle. That <laughs> the mythical clitoris. <laughs> yeah, but you know he'd find it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that man <laughs> spent his life living in the desert. What else do you have to do? <laughs> anyway. Uh, <laughs> I stumbled onto the place purely by chance. I have been planning another look at it, but circumstances have prevented. Now... I intend to let nothing stand in my way. By chance, I came upon a passage in the Golden Goblin edition of this book describing the temple. But that was all. The mummy was only briefly mentioned. Interested, I obtained one of Bridewall's translations, but ran up against a blank wall of baffling blunders. Some irritating mischance the translator had even mistaken the location of the Temple of the Toad, as Jan Yuzit calls it, and has it in Guatemala instead of Honduras. The general description is faulty, the jewel is mentioned, and the fact that it is a key in quotations. But a key to what? Bridewall's book does not state. I now felt that I was on the track of a real discovery, unless Von Yusit was, as many maintain, a madman. But that the man was actually in Honduras at the time is well attested, and no one could so vividly describe the temple as he does in the Black Book, unless he had seen it himself. How he learned of the jewel is more than I can say, the natives who told me of the mummy said nothing of any jewel. I can only believe that von Yusset found his way into the sealed crypt somehow. The man had uncanny ways of 
learning hidden things. Sneaky little bugger. To the best of my knowledge, only one other white man has seen the Temple of the Toad besides Von Yusset and myself. The Spanish traveler Juan Gonzalez, who made a partial exploration of that country in 1793. He mentioned briefly in a curious vein that differed from most of the native ruins and spoke skeptically of a legend current among the natives that there was something unusual hidden under the temple. I feel certain that he was referring to the Temple of the Toad. Tomorrow I will sail for Central America. Keep the book. I have no more use for it. <laughs> He's like, I got what I needed. Oh, you know what else this is reminding me of? Is bed knobs and broomsticks when they like Is that that's that's a throwback. The yeah. Disney movie. Oh no, yeah, no, I I followed you Which to the movie. I'm, I'm waiting for with. what I'm waiting for what it reminds you of. They need the spell. The the one spell to um, make the 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 soldiers march up against the like Nazis that are uh-huh. gonna invade, but there's a page missing, so they a page has been ripped out, so they have to go into the cartoon world and like. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. But yeah, the yep, page yep, is missing, yep. that kind of thing. You know, it's like that's a common, but bed knobs and broomsticks is where my head went. I yep. don't know why. Anyway, to Central America we go. Or at least to Central America, Tussman's going. Tussman's going. He's just thrown the book and said, like, thanks, got what I needed later, bitch. This time I am going fully prepared, and I intend to find out what is hidden in that temple if I have to demolish it. Fucking white people. <laughs> Damn it. No! <laughs> Don't demolish the temple. Also, if you got shot in the foot last time, if you start breaking you imagine shit. what's going to happen if yeah. you demolish the temple? That mummy is going to eat your face. Yep. Right the fuck off. It can be nothing less than a great store of gold. Oh, of course. He thinks it's like treasure. No, it's something fucking fucked. The Spaniards missed it somehow when they arrived in Central America. The Temple of the Toad was deserted. They were searching for living natives from whom torture could wring gold, not for mummies of lost peoples. But I mean to have that treasure. Tussman's a dick. Yep. Tussman's an asshole. So saying Tussman took his departure, I sat down and opened the book at the place where he had left off reading. Uh Uh-oh. He He didn't read far enough. He just missed something really important. (laughs) He didn't read the back of the medallion. Yep. Yep. Uh, I sat until midnight, wrapped in Von Yusset's curious, wild, and at times utterly vague expoundings. And I found pertaining to the Temple of the Toad certain things which disquieted me so much that the next morning I attempted to get in touch with Tussman, only to find that he had already sailed. Oops. Several months passed. And then I received a letter from Tussman, asking me to come and spend a few days with him at his estate in Sussex. He also requested me bring the black book with me. I thought you were done with that. I have a feeling that fucker is like the undead now or something. (laughs) I arrived at Tussman's rather isolated estate just after nightfall. Well, that's, that's bad timing. He lived in almost fugal state, his great ivy-grown house and broad lawns surrounded by high stone walls. As I went up to the hedge-bordered way from the gate to the house, 
I noted that the place had not been well kept in its master's absence. Weeds grew rank among the trees, almost choking out the grass. Among some unkempt bushes over against the outer wall, I heard what appeared to be a horse or an ox blundering and lumbering about. Nope. I distinctly heard the clink of its hoof on a stone. Nope. That's a demon. Yup. That is a hooved demon. That is a fucking demon. A servant who eyed me suspiciously admitted me and I found Tussman pacing to and fro in his study like a caged lion. His giant frame was leaner, harder than when I had seen him last. His face was bronzed by tropic sun. There were more and harsher lines in his strong face and his eyes burned more intensely than ever. A smoldering, baffled anger seemed to underlie his manner. Well, Tussman, I greeted him. What success? Did you find the gold? I found not an ounce of gold, he growled. The whole thing was a hoax. Well, uh, not all of it. I, I broke into the sealed chamber and, and found the mummy. And the jewel, I exclaimed. He drew something from his pocket and handed it to me. I gazed curiously at the thing I held. It was a great jewel, clear and transparent as crystal, but of a sinister crimson carved, as von Yusset had declared, in the shape of a toad. I shuddered involuntarily. The image was peculiarly... I shuddered involuntarily. The image was peculiarly... How do I say this? Peculiarly? Peculiarly... Peculiarly repulsive. Peculiarly. That is, my mouth does not like that at all. Puh. Peculiarly, peculiarly repulsive. It's just too many. <laughs> what, we can we can do the Phoebe and Joey thing. P. P. Q. Q. Your. Your. Lee. Lee. Peculiarly. Peculiarly. Brigitte Bleu. Anger for Fleur. Back to my noises. <laughs> the thing was... Uh, repulsive. Repulsive. <laughs> the thing was repulsive. I shuddered involuntarily. The image was peculiar... <laughs> Please leave all this in. Just, just say I didn't like it. I shuddered involuntarily. It was gross. <laughs> I'm not going to wear that. It's grotty. <laughs> I don't like it. I shuddered involuntarily. The image was peculiarly repulsive. Close. Close. <laughs> Pretty much the right number of syllables, at least. My tongue had like a fucking like aneurysm during that. <laughs> it was like, I think I got it. <laughs> I need more wine. Uh, yes. That, that, that sentence made me need more wine. I turned... So the, the, the jewel, it made him shudder and it was really repulsive. I turned my attention to the heavy and curiously wrought 
copper chain which supported it. What are these characters carved in the chain? I asked curiously. I cannot say, Tusman replied. I had thought perhaps you might know. I, I found a faint resemblance between them and certain partly defaced hieroglyphics on a monolith known as the Black Stone in the mountains of Hungary. I, I have been unable to decipher them. Tell me of your trip, I urged, and over our whiskey and sodas he began, as if with a strange reluctance. I found the temple again with no great difficulty, though it lies in a lonely and little frequented region. The temple is built against a sheer stone cliff in a deserted valley unknown to maps and explorers. I would not endeavor to make an estimate of its antiquity, but it is built of a sort of unusually hard basalt, such as I have never seen anywhere else and its extreme weathering suggests incredible age. Most of the columns which form its facade are in ruins, thrusting up scampered stumps of worn bases, like the scattered and broken teeth of some grinning hag. <laughs> wow! <laughs> wow! You, you had know, to make it about a woman, didn't you, fucker? Tussman's a dick. <laughs> you know... For a guy who's writing like this essentially is, trashy pulp fiction, this is so good. He's got he's got some good description. The outer walls are crumbling, but the inner walls and the columns which support such of the roof as remains intact seem good for another thousand years, as well as the walls in the inner chamber. The main chamber is a large circular affair with a floor composed of great squares of stone. In the center stands the altar, merely a huge, round, curiously carved block of the same material. Directly behind the altar, in the solid stone cliffs which form the rear wall of the chamber, is the sealed and hewn-out chamber wherein lay the mummy of the temple's last priest. I broke into the crypt, with not too much difficulty, and found the mummy exactly as is stated in the black book. Though it was in a remarkable state of preservation, I was unable to classify it, but the jewel was there. The chain looped around the dried-up neck. From this point, Tussman's narrative became so vague that I had some difficulty in following him and wondered if the tropic sun had affected his mind. <laughs> <laughs> Bitch got sunstroke! Um, well, Von Kuzit um, also has huge passages where he becomes incredibly vague, and it was really hard to follow what he was talking about. Uh-oh. Sounds <laughs> like the mummy scrambles your brain. What do these two things have in common? Come on, put them together. One of these things is just, just like, like the, the other. other. <laughs> he had opened a hidden door in the altar somehow with the jewel, but how he did not plainly say it struck me that he did not clearly understand himself the action of the jewel key but the opening of the secret door had had a bad effect on the hardy rogues of his employ they had refused point blank to follow him through that gaping black opening <laughs> <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.
you hired some people and they didn't want to go near your gaping black opening. Man, you know you got problems <laughs> when you can't even pay for it. <laughs> They're like, nope. All right. So you All were right, saying we're about at, his, we're at his the gaping, gaping opening. Hole. We're in a gaping hole. I don't think we can say that. <laughs> I think we can say whatever we want. <laughs> We have that we have that disclaimer yeah. at the beginning now, so it's fine. Well, good. We just earned our NC seventeen rating. <laughs> they had refused point blank to follow him through that gaping black opening, which had appeared so mysteriously when the gym not Jim made a gaping black opening appear. <laughs> Who's Jim? Where'd he come from? I don't know, but apparently he makes holes gape. <laughs> That's what I've heard. He has an ad in the village voice on the back of my <laughs> Craigslist Jim. <laughs> oh no. Dear listeners who uh didn't live in New York twenty years or more ago. The back page of the village voice is basically where you advertise for sex. prostitutes. Escorts. Escorts. And they were called escorts, I believe. But Pay yes. for guys who will make your holes gape. Yep. Yep. No judgment. Just call the number. It usually is an answering service because that's where people had cell phones. All right. Anyway, moving on from Jim's gaping black hole. Um, <laughs> they had refused point is blank. Is Jim's gaping black hole the title of the episode? <laughs> I thought it was, uh. <laughs> well, that's the noise you make when. <laughs> so it's Jim's gaping. Uh. <sighs> oh, no. Okay. They had refused point blank to follow through the gaping black opening, which had appeared so mysteriously when the gem was touched to the altar. Tussman entered alone with his pistol and electric torch, finding a narrow stone stair that wound down into the bowels of the earth. Apparently. The gaping hole led to the bowels? <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> he needed a flashlight you- to see into it. Do you need do you need to take a walk to cool down? I'm just glad you said it, not me. Okay. <laughs> I'm sweating. There are there are actual tears. Okay. I thought we were there. I'm so close. That's what Jim said. Shut up. I knew you were going to say that. <sighs> he followed this and presently came into a broad corridor in the blackness of which his tiny beam. <laughs> Ken is on the floor, guys. Oh my god, 
<laughs> We're literally dying. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. His tiny beam <laughs> was de- was was enveloped by the gaping black corridor. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. We're gonna make it. I really like this story. We just took this euphemism just keeps going. I can't get past it. Oh. All right. <sighs> I can keep it together if you can. I can. I can do it. Good. Whew. I'm not gonna drink any wine for a minute just in case. Oh god, I hurt. I'm starting this whole paragraph again. Well, that's bold. That's not even half of it. Tussman entered alone with his pistol and electric torch, finding a narrow stone stair that wound down into the bowels of the earth, apparently. He followed this and presently came into a broad corridor, in the blackness of which his tiny beam of light was almost engulfed. As he told this, he spoke with strange annoyance of a toad which hopped ahead of him, just beyond the circle of light, all the time he was below ground. So there's a toad, like, hopping, like, he can hear it, but he can't see it. So it's a demon. Making his way along dank tunnels and stairways, there were wells of solid blackness as he last came to a heavy door, fantastically carved, which he felt must be the crypt wherein was secreted the gold of the ancient worshippers. He pressed the toad jewel against it at several places, and finally the door gaped wide. And the treasure, I broke in eagerly. He laughed in savage self-mockery. <laughs> there was no gold there, no precious gems, nothing, he hesitated. Nothing that I could bring away. Again, his tail lapsed into vagueness. I gathered that he had left the temple rather, hur- rather hurriedly without searching any further for the supposed treasure. He had intended bringing the mummy away with him, he said, to present it to some museum, but when he came up out of the pits, it could not be found. He believed that his men, in superstitious aversion to having some companion on their road to the coast, had thrown it into some well or cavern. No, those people are dead. Yeah, that is not what happened. And so, he concluded... I am in England again, no richer than when I left. You have the jewel, I reminded him. Surely it is valuable. He eyed it without favor, but with a sort of fierce avidness, almost obsessional. Would you say that it is a ruby, he asked. I shook my head. I am unable to classify it. And I... But let me see the book. He slowly turned the heavy pages, his lips moving as he read. Sometimes he shook his head as if puzzled, and I noticed him dwell long over a certain line. This man dipped so deeply into forbidden things. (laughs) 
This man dipped so deeply into forbidden things. Huh. I'm beginning to rethink some of the research I did into Robert E. Howard. Because it's it is looking more and more like this entire story is a butt sex parable. <laughs> Anal sex parable. <laughs> I mean, if I was going to write a really fancy like Craigslist ad for for like anal sex it would, I would definitely be, like, be in the guise of an indiana jones-esque short story are you a man that dips so deeply into forbidden things that <laughs> come on <laughs> all right this man dips so deeply into forbidden things he said i cannot wonder that his fate was so strange and mysterious he must have had some foreboding of his end where he warns men not to disturb sleeping things tussman seemed lost in thoughts for some moments i sleeping things he muttered that seem dead but only lie waiting for some blind fool to awaken them. I should have read further in the black book. I, I should have shut the door when I left the crypt. But I have the key and I'll keep it in spite of hell. Uh-oh. This is not, this this is is, not good. I think this is going to go really well for Tessman. And for everyone he's around. He roused himself from his reveries and was about to speak when he stopped short. From somewhere upstairs had come a peculiar sound. What was that? He glared at me. I shook my head and he ran to the door. And Dude, it's your house. <laughs> it's like, uh. I shook my head and he ran to the door and shouted for a servant. The man entered a few moments later and he was rather pale. You were upstairs, growled Tussman. Yes, sir. Did you hear anything? asked Tussman harshly and in a manner of almost threatening and accusing. I, I did, sir, the man answered with a puzzled look on his face. What did you hear? The question was fairly snarled. Well, sir, the man laughed apologetically. You you'll say I'm a bit off, I fear, but to tell you the truth, sir, it sounded like a horse stamping around on the roof. Or... Reindeer on the roof. <laughs> ho, 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 bitches. <laughs> A blaze of absolute madness leaped into Tussman's eyes. You fool, he screamed. Get out of here. The man shrank back in amazement and Tussman snatched up the gleaming toad carved jewel. I've been a fool, he raved. I didn't read far enough, and I should have shut the door, but by heaven, the key is mine, and I will keep it in spite of man or devil. This is a guy who sounds super stable. This is not good. And with these strange words, he turned and fled upstairs. A moment later, his door slammed heavily, and a servant, knocking timidly, brought forth only a blasphemous order to retire an alluredly worded threat to shoot anyone who tried to obtain interest in... <laughs> Holy shit! Shoot anyone who tried to obtain entrance into the room. Oh, this is not good. That man is not going to make it through the night. <clears throat> Had it not been so late, I would have left the house. <laughs> For I was certain that Tussman was stark mad. 
As it was, I retired to the room a frightened servant showed to me, but I did not go to bed. See, he's one of the first, like, smart people in these horror movies. That, yeah. Like, there's like, oh, there's some weird shit happened, but oh, I I'm was go, pretty tired. I'm going to go to sleep in my room in the tower. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, no. No. Don't go into the room in the tower. I opened the pages of the black book at the place where Tussman had been reading. This much was evident. Unless the man was utterly insane, he had stumbled upon something unexpected in the temple of the toad. Something unnatural about the opening of the altar door had frightened his men, and in the subterraneous crypt, Tussman had found something that he had not thought to find. And I believed that he had been followed from Central America, and that the reason for his persecution was the jewel he called the key. Seeking some clue in von Yusset's volume, I read again of the Temple of the Toad, of the strange pre-native people who worshipped there, and of the huge tittering tentacled hoofed monstrosity that they worshipped. Oh, Jesus. So Tentacles it's, and hooves? And tittering. <laughs> it's, Tentacles so and it's, hooves and tits? And boobies. <laughs> so it's a So it's a lady horsepus. <laughs> Come worship upon my lady horsepus. had said that he had not read far enough when he had first seen the book. Puzzling over this cryptic phrase, I came upon the line he had poured over, marked by his thumbnail. It seemed to me to be another one of von Yusset's many ambiguities, for it merely stated that a temple's god was the temple's treasure. Then the dark implication of the hint struck me, and cold sweat beaded from my forehead. Yeah. <clears throat> the key to the treasure, and the temple's treasure was the temple's god, and sleeping things might awaken on the opening of their prison door. I sprang up unnerved by the intolerable suggestion, and at that moment something crashed in the stillness and the death scream of a human being burst upon my ears. In an instant, I was out of the room, and I dashed up the stairs. I heard sounds that have made me doubt my sanity ever since. At Tussman's door, I halted, essaying with shaking hand to turn the knob. The door was locked, and as I hesitated, I heard from within a hideous, high-pitched tittering, and then the disgusting, squashy sound, as if great jelly-like bulk was being forced through the window. Oh my fucking god, what? So what you heard was crash. <laughs> oh my god, what the actual fuck? All right, um... The sound ceased, and I could have sworn I heard a faint swish of gigantic wings. Then silence. Gathering my shattered nerves, I broke down the door. A foul and overpowering stench billowed out like a yellow mist. 
Gasping in nausea, I entered. The room was in ruins, but nothing was missing except that crimson toad-carved jewel Tussman called the key. And that was never found. A foul, unspeakable slime smeared the windowsill, and in the center of the room lay Tussman, his head crushed and flattened, and on the red ruin of skull and face, the plain print of an enormous hoof. The end. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, fuck! Oh, shit! Well, I guess Tussman's not going to issue that apology now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, fortunately, the narrator said he didn't really need it. I guess. I know, but probably he wanted it. And also, this is going to be really awkward in the papers for a while. It's like the two adversaries were at home together and some uh, uh, giant octopus bird horse with boobies Rumors trampled. as to a giant mass hallucination. Somebody licked the toad. They kept calling it the key, but it seems to have disappeared into thin air, a.k.a. they ingested it and went on a weird ass trip. <laughs> So instead of just licking the frog, they ate it. They ate the frog, and that's when that's why it went too far. It that's went, why it too, went far. too far. Went too far. And his face spontaneously caved in in the shape of a hoof. Uh, I've never eaten a toad, so um, neither have I. But I don't think there's anything you could eat that would make your face spontaneously cave in. Apparently, there's stuff you can do that will. <laughs> That's not spontaneous. That's called pissing off a god. I'm just telling you right now, that story was awesome. <laughs> what did you think, listener? How did that one hit you? I mean, I hope it didn't hit you. I Especially apologize if it if hit you was... with a hoof, because that hurts. Or if it, I really hope it didn't hit you in a gaping hole. Or it did. And, well, that's you're, gaping, you're, you're gaping ear hole. That's fine. Yeah, open that gaping ear hole and let Campfire Classics put you to sleep. <laughs> So if you enjoyed this episode, please message us with the secret passcode gaping ear hole. That's our new our new tagline. Campfire Classics, open up your gaping ear hole and let us in. Campfire Classics, we come in your gaping ear hole. Yes, there it is. Oh, I'm so glad we've added that explicit thing at the beginning of episodes. Well, if you've enjoyed this episode, please share us with five of your friends. If you haven't enjoyed this episode, you probably turned us off like <laughs> a an long hour ago. time ago. Um, oh, Lord. But if you made it this far, you are our people and we love you. And you should tell your friends because your friends are probably our people, too. Let's be real. Yeah. Hey, in all seriousness, though, if you enjoyed this episode, let's hang out. Let's hang out. <laughs> like send us an email. Uh, 5050artsproduction at gmail.com. Uh, you can find all of our information on our website www.campfireclassicspodcast.com You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and uh, Facebook. So find us there. We actually have a TikTok. I don't really use it much because 
I know how to make TikToks for myself, but I don't know how to do it for the podcast. So if you have suggestions there, let us know. <laughs> I, uh, I'm too tired to be clever for much I'm longer. I'm wrecked. Yeah, let's, um, I think we're done. I think that's it. Hey, uh, think, Twisted yeah. and Uncorked. Uh, go listen to them. Go listen to them. But they also, would probably like the story. <laughs> but also, Alicia and Sierra, if you're listening, we should hang out. Yeah. <laughs> you come read a read a story? Hey. Uh, you got anything else? No, I'm, I'm like that story. That was good. That, that put me, that put me in a, I'm exhausted because we left so much. All right. Uh, your hosts are tired. So until next week, this has been Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. I think we can both say now because we're so exhausted. Ooh, yeah.